Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is on Nahum chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 titled A Jealous God. We're in the book of Nahum. Today we're, we're uh, leaving Micah behind. We've been in Micah for three or four weeks and going to move on. Nahum's the next book, of course, but it's between, well, it's between two little books, Habakkuk and, and uh, Micah. Nahum is a, um, of course, an important book or God wouldn't have included in the Bible. It's just very small. Uh, not much we know about about him other than the introduction he gives us here in the first verse. Uh, we'll say this, Nahum is, uh, says he's from, he's an Elkishite, which is a, a Galilean uh, city, town. And, uh, but we do have, there is a, a, a town in the New Testament that you're familiar with that has his name on it. And many believe it was because it was his main, even though he grew up in one town, he actually operated out of a different one. You're familiar with the term, with the town Capernaum, it was Jesus's main it was where he operated from. Jesus was, of course, raised in, in Nazareth, but he operated out of Capernaum, which is on the banks of the shore of, of the Sea of Galilee. It's where uh, Peter and John, it's where uh, Andrew, uh, Peter's brother was from there. It was their hometown, James and John, Peter and, Peter and Andrew. And uh, they, the, the town is, it, well, of course, anglicized when we, we turned it into an English word. Capernaum It's not the way you pronounce it. Actually, the, the way the, the town is pronounced in, in Hebrew is Kafar Nahum. So it, it, it basically says the village of Nahum. So possibly that's where this guy's from. We don't really know. We don't know a lot about him. A lot, some of these uh, prophets, we don't know much about them at all other than they're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible other than they just simply have a book that says God spoke to them. And that's exactly what we have here uh, under, under the name of Nahum. So let's take a look. Chapter 1, we're just going to be in verses 1 and 2. Probably going to be in verses 1 and 2 next week because of the, the density of the words that are in this passage uh, as we're going to see. The Oracle of Nineveh. So this is a bookend, if you will, the other side, the other part of the story, the other bookend of the story of Jonah. Jonah, of course, is the story of God rescuing Nineveh. God sending an unwilling prophet uh, because he was afraid that God would do what exactly he did, that if he preached repentance to these people and they actually repented, that God would forgive them. He was hoping that wouldn't be true. And so we studied Jonah for a while there because Jonah is a testimony of how hard our hearts can be toward people and uh, how surprised we're going to be, I believe, when we get to heaven and you're going to be saying, I can't believe he's here. And they're going to be saying the same thing about you. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing here. Well, God's, it's God's grace and his choice. And so we're, we're allowing uh, for that for, to be sure. So the other, the other end of the story for the Ninevites is, is the prophecy of Nahum. God forgave them. God uh, gave them life, if you will, uh, 40 more days, and God's going to destroy this place. Well, they repented. God forgave them. In the book of, of Jonah, some 75-odd years later, though, you have the book of Nahum. Uh, God is fed up with them, and this is it. So this is the other side of the story. This is the end of the, end of the city of Nineveh and to a large part of the Syrian people. So anyway, right off the bat here, we're going to be taken aback by some things that are said about God. The Oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. This is not your uh, sermon topic, your typical televangelist. If that's what you're here for, I'm sorry. It'll be over with fairly quick. <laughs> the Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. So I got it right off the bat. You take it aback by the descriptors we have of God here. In fact, in particular, uh, the very first one, that God is a jealous. So God is jealous? That's exactly what it says. It doesn't just say it there. 
says it often in the Old Testament and not too often, unoften in the New Testament. God indeed is a jealous God. Lots of people have real problems with this because of the way they define and understand jealousy. In fact, some, some famously so. I want to show you a video here of a lady that you're going to know. And this, is, this whole issue of jealousy was her jumping off place from Christianity. She ceased to be or wanted to be a Christian. Do we have that? Who's, who's got it for me? Video. Hello. The go button. There we go. Baptist church, by the way. was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything and then he said and the Lord thy God is a jealous God and I was you know caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous and something struck me just and I was like uh, I think about 27 or 28 I was thinking God is all God is omnipresent God is all and God's also jealous jealous God is jealous of me um, and something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit. So, of course, that was for her. If you know her testimony, that's where she stops being a Christian, effectively, or proposing to, or seeming like a Christian, quit going to church, uh, invented her own religion, invented her own God. And that, by the way, is your prerogative. You can do that if you want to. I wouldn't encourage you. Uh, in fact, I would say that's a huge mistake. It is for her. It would be for you. But you are free to make decisions like that. And you can run off in directions of whatever you want to and be set off by anything that the Word of God has to say. Uh, I'm, I'm a person who is, uh, my congregation will tell you, because I've said it to them many times and, and now saying it to you, but I'm a person who believes that all the Word of God is for all the people of God. So not just the fun parts. I can just stick to the fun parts like some televangelists will. Well, then we would have a televangelist ministry here, I guess. But we're not doing that because I didn't write this. I didn't inspire it. I don't decide what is and what, what is for the people and what isn't for the people. To me, all the Word of God is for all the people of God, and so we should take it for wherever it is. The stuff we like, the stuff we don't like, the stuff that's easy to swallow, and as in this case, the stuff that's hard to swallow. Have you ever considered jealousy to be a positive trait? If I said somebody up here and I said, this person is a really jealous person, does that raise you or lower, you, lower him in your opinion? Because the way we understand it, jealousy, right? And so when we hear that God is a jealous God, it's hard to swallow. It really is. And let me just say this from the beginning. God is a jealous God, and you need to deal with it. Unlike Oprah, she couldn't. And it would be a huge mistake. And my, by God's grace, I'm going to help us all. We're going to deal with it today. We're going to be considering what it means for God to be a jealous God and how that is actually a good thing. You better be so glad that he is. God is jealous, but jealousy in our minds is a negative because because it's defined by a fallen, our fallen human perspective. From fallen human perspective, here's the definitions we have of, of jealousy in the dictionary, for instance. Webster says, a feeling of resentment because of another's success. Is that God? No. You may think it is. Some people do. Like I said, you're welcome to your own opinion. Uh, I know I won't be able to stop you with that. Uh, another definition from Shakespeare, Othello, the green-eyed monster, right, referring to envy, but it also say, he also references to jealousy, equivocates between the two of them. So this green-eyed monster, is that what, so God has a commandment against envy, does he not? Isn't there, thou shalt not covet the same as, yes it is, so God's free to break his own commandments as we're extrapolating all this? No. 
No, definitely not. The commandments, you understand, are not just God putting up laws for us. Like we talk about the kids staying in the lines. They're actually, those are who he is. You don't commit adultery because that's against who God is. You don't steal because that's who, against who he is. It's not just arbitrary laws that he set up there trying to make us do stuff. No, this is, these are against who he is. So why would he have a command against something that he is, but at the same time he say that he is this thing? So does it make sense? Well, it, that is if you define it the way we're defining it. Someone else is called uh, jealousy as defined by human practice. The weed, quote, that goes through, that grows up through the cracks of a narrow, cramped personality. Is that what God is? Is that who he is? God has got this narrow, cramped personality, and thus the reason why, why God is jealous. And those, by the way, are great and accurate definitions of jealousy as defined by human practice. You have the jealousy that you know and that I know in the world that we live in, that's a good definition. These are accurate. That's on. I would agree with it. Jealousy is more nearly associated with a clutching or anxiousness or a pettiness or a domineering frame of mind, right? So when we hear someone is jealous, we immediately think that, and probably correctly so, because that's the way we've defined it. That's where our cultures define it. That's the way sinful nature has defined it. Uh, likewise, we could give a negative twist to almost everything that we've gotten our hands on, including love, marriage, fatherhood. You want to preach a hard sermon among people? Preach about fatherhood. That's who God is. I don't want anything to do with him. God's because my father was like such and such. Because of the way your dad defined it, then God must be that way, right? That's the problem Oprah has. The experience she's had with jealousy, and then she hears that God is jealous, she equivocates between the two. If that's who God is, I want nothing to do with him. Well, um, she should have hung on, hung on for the rest of the story. Uh, Self love is usually the foundation of human jealousy, that's where it goes wrong. And so when we hear that God is jealous, how can we be comfortable with that, right? It's tough. Well, um, we need to hear what this has to say. God indeed is jealous, but not at all the way we are. Not at all. Nothing about us is entirely right. Same with you. Same with me. Nothing. Nothing about us is entirely right, and nothing about God is at all wrong. So when we start talking about these, we don't ever have apples to apples comparison. We have a sinful nature defining life and a sinless nature saying what life actually is. And the two just simply don't meet. They never, ever will. Whatever jealousy of God is, you can be sure of this, it is perfect. It is perfect. We would do well to know what it means. We would well do well to know to understand who God is. The factors that poison human jealousy are insecurity, suspicion, and selfishness. Tell me a day in your life that you haven't been plagued by these. A day in your life that you weren't insecure, suspicious, and selfish. I haven't had one yet. I'm waiting. <laughs> but it creeps in, even though I've, some, some better, I've had better days and I've had worse days, but I've really not had a day in which they all zeroed out. No, not for me. Well, suspicion and uh, selfishness and insecurity, God has never been touched by, ever been touched by those things. So to think our, our jealousy is anything like his, no. No, it is not. But there are some pointers we can draw that we have a glimpse of, of uh, if you will, a brilliance occasionally. There are some pointers we can draw from our own personal life and experience that may, can point to the direction of what it means for God to be jealous. God is jealous. We would do well to understand it. We would do well to understand it because he is very serious about it. He is playing hard ball. When he talks about jealousy, 
We talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and we ought to major on those things. I really think we should. But listen, there, God, isn't just, God is not out of balance. He is balanced in every way. If, if he truly loves, listen to me, he has to be jealous when we dishonor him. He has to be jealous when we run to something else. If he truly loves us and is indeed the answer to all of our questions and all of our needs, which he is, then when we go and try to fulfill those needs somewhere else, he ought to burn with that. Let me tell you something. He does. Here, let's hear what the scriptures have to say. We, we read it here in, in Nahum. Let's consider Exodus. Here's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Period. You shall not make for yourself. So don't do that. It's not a, it's not a suggestion, right? We talk about the kids saying within the lines, this is a line that you don't cross. And if you do, listen, it's not just a matter of, well, it's going to make God upset. No, it's a matter of destroying your life. He created you to run one way, and if you run another way, it won't work. And a lot of us, listen, it ain't working. Why? Because you're coloring outside the lines, my friend. It doesn't work, it won't work, it can't work, and it never will work that way. Have no other gods before me. You shall make, not make for yourself an idol of the likeness of anything what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous. He won't just let it go. He's not going to sit back and watch you mess your life up. He's not. He's going to get involved. He's going to get your attention. Yeah, he can deliver you into a measured amount of pain in order to deliver you from a maximum amount of pain that he knows is coming for you if he doesn't stop, you see. Just let you go? You just let your kids go? They're running out toward the highway? What are you going to do? Snatch them ball-headed, right? Because there's something worse than being snatched ball-headed, and that's getting out in the road. Because you love them. And if you don't love them, let them go. Who cares? That's not God. It's not you. It's definitely not God. Consider Exodus 34, you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Again, we talk about the love of God. God defines love. God also defines jealousy. And just as much as he loves, so he is jealous. And as perfect as his love is, so is his jealousy. When, when we run and when we seek to be supplied by things that are going to destroy us, he has to do something. He can't just let it go. God is jealous in the same way that a husband would be properly jealous toward his wife who's cheating on him. He should be. He should be. Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It burns him. It burns him. And like I said, rightfully so. God is, listen, wounded when he loves us with an unending and intense and sacrificial love and we treat him as if he's not enough. It burns him. It should. When we look to other people and other things to meet our needs rather than trust in his all-sufficiency, he's got a problem with it. And he should have a problem with it. And this is the bottom line of jealousy, if you will. The jealousy of God, the point is, is that it hurts him and he takes it personally. That's the bottom line. When we refuse his all-sufficient love, we are, listen, sliding and insulting the greatest gift in the universe. His all-sufficient love is the greatest gift in the universe. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He just decided to create us and pour it out on us. And when, when, we, when we turn away from that, we're, we're sliding the greatest gift in the universe. And he's supposed to just stand by and pat us on the head? No. 
Never. He's not going to let it go. He's jealous for us with a righteous jealousy. He gives us a better definition by the way of sin. You want a definition of sin? Here you go. It's more than just a bad thing that you do. When you sin or attempted to sin, what you are listening to is the call, if you will, of a false lover trying to entice you into another way of living. Come and do this. Come and be a part of this. Come and take part. You're going to like it. You'll be fulfilled. You're going to be the thing we respond to. Everything is. You're going to be happy, right? And when we give in to that call, listen, we are entering into a spiritually adulterous relationship, and God's got a problem with it. He won't sit by and watch it. He won't sit by and do nothing. You can be sure. We aren't just doing wrong. We are rejecting and insulting the all-sufficient pure love of God and turning away from him. Our God, whose name is Jealous, is a consuming fire. When we don't return to, we don't return to him the love he's given to us, when we reject that, it burns him. It burns him, ladies, in the same way as your husband run, runs off after a loose woman. You're supposed to sit by and just say, oh, well, eh. No, you're going to be burned by it, aren't you? You've committed yourself exclusively to each other. He to you and you to him, and you've been operating that way, and then boom, he turns around and does this. You're going to be burned. You've got every right to be burned. God has committed to us in an exclusive relationship, bought us with the blood of his one and only son. We're going to be, we're going to be remembering that here in the elements of the Lord's Supper here in just a bit. The broken pieces of bread representing the broken blood, body of Christ, the, the juice representing the spilled blood of Christ. How, how great was the love of God for us? How willing was he to give everything to get us? And yet with all that he's done, we turn around and we give our love away to something else. We give credit to something else. These are the things that sustain me, that give me life. It's this stuff over there. Oh, maybe we were smarter than to just come out and say stuff like that, but we act that way. And believe me, God takes it that way. He's not going to sit by and watch that. So, some of you, who, who's watching any games this afternoon? You may be watching, possibly. <laughs> so, some have equivocated between zealousness and jealousy, and there are some relationship to a degree, but there's also a lesson to be learned in that. How many of you have got some, a little bit of zeal toward a particular team today? Anybody? Maybe against a certain team. Many more, I'm just kind of against people. I'm just, I, I don't vote when I vote. I, didn't, I don't vote in favor of anybody. I just vote against people. I don't like her or him. I just vote against them. I don't care who else is running. Let's say, let's say for instance, you're zealous for Tom Brady. Maybe most, I know a lot of people are haters on John Brady. I don't know about it. I don't know who he is. I don't know. I don't care who wins myself. But let's just say we did, that you're a fan. You're zealous toward Tom Brady. Well, okay. Well, then what you would want is for everybody to be, what number is he? I can't remember. Is it 12, 11, huh? What is it? 12, Okay. So you, if, if I'm zealous about him, I'm zealous about his record, I want everybody to be wearing the number 12. Tom Brady fans, right? That's zeal. But on the other hand, if you hated it when anyone else wore his jersey and you thought only you could wear his jersey, then what we got going on there? First of all, that's weird. <laughs> but now you've changed from zealousness to jealousy. You see the difference between the two? See the difference? One, one wants everybody in. The other one wants exclusivity, don't they? Now, what's weird for you is not for God. God is not, listen, I don't care what they tell you on television. God is not your fan. God is your God and absolute Lord. Amen. He jealously wants exclusivity in a relationship with you. 
and that when you share yourself off with other things, he's got a problem with it. He's never going to get over it because he's done everything to take you to himself. And that is, and by the way, and you absolutely needed it. He couldn't just sit by and watch you, watch you go over the cliff. He had to rescue you. You're running out on the road. He had to stop you. He's done everything. He sacrificed everything to get that, to give you life. And when we give that away to something else, he's got a problem with it. God is not an exuberant fan cheering us on. He's not. He will not tolerate dating around. He will not. He does not. He cannot. He is, listen, hear me, God is intolerant and indignant in the same way that a husband or wife would be when their spouse runs off on them. They should be intolerant and indignant. God is as intolerant, or maybe more so, and indignant as your doctor, who is good, who is experienced, who has treated a jillion people with the same thing that you've got and has made, a, made an accurate diagnosis and prognosis for you and a prescription for your health. And when he finds out, though, that you've rejected all that he's done and all of the experience and you've bought a plane ticket to some dark corner of the world to have a shaman blow smoke up your nose. He's going to be indignant of that and intolerant of that. And when it doesn't work and you go back to him, he's going to be just a little stiff, I'm thinking. Because he's, he's, you've basically taken all of his experience and all of his wisdom and his care and you've just kind of thrown it out for some weirdo on the other side of the planet. He's going to be intolerant and indignant of that. And we do the same thing to God. We have always done the same thing to him. It's no different. They made him jealous with the strange gods and abominations they provoked him. He had all the answers. He had all the, all the remedies, all the circumstances, all the questions answered. And yet they go running off. We go running off. And he's supposed to not be upset about that. Not be indignant and intolerant. He's supposed to tolerate that. We're in an age of tolerance. Tolerance just means, you know, I'm supposed to be stupid. I'm supposed to, everybody's, I'm, anymore, tolerance just simply means I can't, I can't say I believe in a certain thing. That's all it means. Can, can we not try to put ourselves in the position of God for just a minute? Suppose you created the universe and everything in it. By the way, we're glad you're not God. We definitely are. You better be glad I'm not because, man, I would have killed us a long time ago. Suppose you had made the universe and everything in it, every creature in it, and you created human, humankind not because you needed them, just because you wanted to. And you created them so that they could be the recipients of the love, the great love of who you are and the greatness of being in a relationship with you. And that's the whole purpose of humanity, just to, just, to, just to be in a relationship and bring glory to the God who created them. And then you create them, and they go off, and they give credit to that creation to something else or someone else. I've done all this. I've created all creation. I've pointed it all at you. I've given you the ability to experience it and enjoy it. And you give all the credit to something else. You, you, take, you take things, you take stone and steel or stone and metal and, and wood and you create something and you say, behold, these are our gods that delivered us, that saved us. These are the gods that created us. You're, you're dumber than mud. And, and, and he's supposed to sit by it and let you just stay dumb? He's not supposed to say anything? I mean, to me, it's a miracle he hasn't dashed us to pieces already. I would have. I would have. You would have. God is jealous, but listen, it is not at all 
like our jealousy, inasmuch as his love is not at all like our love. God is jealous. He's calling us, listen, to an exclusive relationship with him. And, and you say, well, it's because he's got this selfish attitude. No. Yeah, he selfishly desires for you to be better. That's not selfish. It's selfless. He wants, he wants it to be right for you. He wants it to go well for you. He would love for things to be perfect for you. But in order for that to be, even come close to having a chance, he's got to have exclusivity with you because that's the only way it works. Hear, hear the cry of Paul as God cries through him for the Corinthian church. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. See, I, I want you to be his, right? Because that's what God wants. And anybody who reads the scriptures and understands the heart of God would want the same thing for his people. Exclusively his. Pastor, I really need to know. I need some answers in my life. I, need to I have questions and, and I really just don't know what to do. You need to be exclusively God's. I just handled all your, there, all your counseling is over. It's answered all your questions. Be exclusively his. And it will settle so many issues. It may not fix things, but it will make things unnecessary to be fixed. Because God is the fix. He's everything. We, 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 we really aren't persecuted anymore as a church in Western culture. We aren't for m multiple reasons, but anymore it seems as our culture becomes bad and worse and degenerates and becomes more corrupt, the church still isn't persecuted. You've got to be asking a question, why is that? Is it because they see us to be just like them? We become so pluralistic? See, the early church was persecuted. They were persecuted by a pluralistic society that was pagan, just like our society. But I mean, here we live in the same society and aren't persecuted. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because the early church did the same thing we did to a degree. They worshiped Jesus. We worshiped Jesus, right? We were talking about Jesus. We want to honor Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We ask Jesus for help all the time. Churches would come together and they talk about Jesus. Hardly a church that I know of would call themselves a church. Why would, why would they if they're not talking about Jesus? The problem is not that we don't worship Jesus. The problem is, unlike the early church, we don't worship him exclusively. See, we say we do. But the world knows we don't. They see it. There's no reason to persecute that. The other church was persecuted, listen, because they worshiped Jesus exclusively. No one else. No exceptions. They were totally his. They didn't care what anybody thought. They were going to honor God with their life. It was going to be, they were going to be his exclusively. The, listen, the favor we've gained with the world for our pluralism is intimacy that we've lost with Jesus Christ. Not a good thing. Not at all. And we can certainly agree and maybe say the same thing as the Laodicean church said. Anymore, it seems. I am rich and I become wealthy, have need of nothing. This was the worst church of all the seven, if you know the Revelation story. Seven letters, he writes to seven churches, cover letters to the revelation of the judgment of God. And the worst church was the last one, the age we live in. A church that can say, yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff. We're doing great. Thanks, Jesus, for coming, right? Well, we can use your name at our parties, but in fact, it's not about you anymore. We don't really need you anymore because we've got riches and we're wealthy and we, we don't need anything. We've, we're, we've trusted other stuff, you see. We've given away our love to other things, and these are the things that provide for us. And thank you, though, Jesus, for letting us use your name. So the same thing we can say as Laodicean church, and Jesus can say the same thing that he said to that church. 
So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So I would dare say it's not more harsher words spoken in the New Testament anywhere. Toward people. Wow. But notice he says, those whom I love. See, his jealousy is based on love. He loves us. That's why he can't sit by. He can't just let you go. Just wander off. Just do what you want to. He has to rein you in because he loves you. And he's jealous for you that things would go right for you. It, it's, it's, it's imperative. It, it, it has to happen because he loves us. Those whom I love, I reprove and, reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I'm going to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes as we think about what God has said to us today. God is a jealous God. He's got every reason to be. Because of his great love for us, because he will not settle for something less than the best for us, because he will not just let it go, he won't just let us run off and destroy our lives, he can't just sit by and do it. He can't just wash his hands of us, because he loves sinners so deeply. He is jealous for us with a righteous, pure jealousy. We owe him our exclusivity. We need to be exclusive with him. Maybe today what you need to do is you need to recommit to that exclusive relationship with him. Him first, him last, him everything, him the center of your life. Everything focusing and coming from him, stopping running to stuff that can't fulfill that can't answer, that can't help, that doesn't heal, that doesn't give peace. And turn all of your focus and energy upon the one who can, who is, who is our everything, and let him be your everything. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are everything, that you're our answer, you're our fulfillment, you're our supply. You are everything. Lord, we want to turn all of our energies towards you. We so need to. We so need to turn ourselves off from the things that we've been giving ourselves away to. We so need to, to break up with the spiritually adulterous relationships we've been involved in. We so need God to cut it off today and open ourselves up to you exclusively. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be pulled toward exclusivity today. We let you be the center we let you be everything. Thank you, God, for your great patience toward us. Thank you for your great love that you don't just let us go, that you continue to pull us back and pull us in. Lord, I pray that we respond to that pull with repentance today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.